0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson.
1: Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. Today on the docket, we got a couple hands from some big Los Angeles live streams that you may or may not have heard of. One is from Live at the Bike. The other is from Hustler Live. These were hand-picked by my co-pilot for Tactical Tuesday, John. What's up, John? How you doing, man? How's it going? Start of football season. How are you doing? not so good not so good um we're recording this at 4 30 p.m on a sunday even though this is tactical tuesday and as a titans fan i would say it hasn't started out super well um not only has it not started out super well coach thomas is blasting me in fantasy football as well and talking mad shit in the private channel so you're playing yeah. Coach Thomas this week? Week one? Week one, oh. Thomas is talking trash about how one of his players might outscore my entire team. The player Ooh. specifically is the number one overall pick in the draft. He's very skillful for choosing Christian McCaffrey at number oh, one. Yeah, he, should, yeah, yeah. He, he should start um, a fantasy football training site with those ridiculous, prescient picks. Um, yes, I'm extremely salty, and he can't talk to defend himself. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so just
2: so the audience knows, we're going to have a tilted Coach Brad analyzing these hands.
1: (laughs) Yes, I am salty today, to say the least. So let's dive in to these hands. Um, We're going to start out with a hand from live at the bike. John, do you want to break down the action for the viewer?
2: Yeah, so this hand, uh, I believe they're playing like 100, 100, 200, or like 50, 100, 200. Anyways, the big blind is $200. JD opens a uh, queen 10 offsuit to 800. James wakes up with aces in the cutoff and puts in a pretty standard size three bet. Uh, this is where the hand starts getting a little wacky, honestly. Andy wakes up in the straddle with pocket kings and decides to just flat the three bet. Um, I was listening to the audio the commentary for this hand, and the commentators uh, seem to imply that like JD had some reason to be tilted uh, before the start of this hand. He started the hand with exactly twelve thousand dollars, so I think it's very possible that maybe he got stacked very, uh, like you know, maybe right before this hand and just reloaded for for twelve k, um, and thought that maybe Andy is trapping kings here with the hopes that JD would find some sort of four bet. Um, or, you know, just rip in his 12K stack over the 3-bet. Um, and he'd be able to kind of put James in the tough spot if uh, James decided to flat or or do something with uh, after 3-betting. So, um, yeah, already sort of off to kind of a strange start here with Andy just uh, flatting the Kings pre flop. Do we know um, anything
1: about James specifically? Because it could be that James, um, he is an elderly gentleman. And so is it possible that... James just has such a tight three-bet range that Andy doesn't have a four-bet range versus a James three-bet?
2: I mean, okay, so from what I know about James is he's a regular on these high-stakes games. On Live at the Bike, he plays very, very frequently. I'm going to assume that he's not a professional or like never was uh, a pro. Um, But, you know, I think he's, like you said, like his his three-bet range is certainly going to be tighter than it should be. That being said, like, I I still can't see Andy not four-betting Kings just as the standard play even versus a a three bet from James. Like I I think, I don't think James is is someone who only has like aces, Kings, Queens, and ace King. I think he's going to at least have, you know, more, more hands than like the ultra tight rec player, three bet range.
1: I mean, we'd have to ask Andy, you know, to know what his strategy construction is here. We can't know. I think the, the commentators, they're speculating in the same way that we're speculating. And I I think that, you, you know, this is, They're very deep here, right? Yeah. This is a pretty deep spot. It's a three-butt pot already to Andy. And I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how he's constructing his preflop strategy. I do know that he called very quickly, though, which means that he kind of knows what he's doing in this spot for some reason or another, whether it be the read that, like, you know, the 12K stack's just going to jam it in. Um, Although, you know, facing... A three bet and then a cold flat, like you would have to think that the 12k stack is gonna be a little hesitant to just put their sacks stack in no matter how tilted they are. Yeah.
2: Um, so just to like ask you a question, then if you were playing in a live game and you were very deep against uh let's say a recreational player that you knew to be very, very tight, uh maybe even tighter than James was, would you be flat in Kings? Like Against someone like that, because of depth and because of you know their their three bet range not being, you know, as wide as it should be. Just thinking like it's it's kind of a disaster if we get five bet here at at this depth. And and
1: well, I mean, we have to think about like how how are we constructing our four bet range, right? Like how how many combos do we have when you four bet a tight player cold, and if you are four betting like aces, kings, queens, and ace king, then you don't have enough combos post-flop at the depth that these guys are going to have if you do 4-bet. And so it's like this kind of, a, kind of a conundrum of, do I just want to have a somewhat wide flatting range um, here of the 3-bet, something like, I don't know, 8s plus and some like suited Broadway hands like that, and then see a flop, like with a somewhat high SPR with more combos, or do I want to four-bet and have a high SPR spot with less combos? And my personal preference is to have more combos when the SPR post flop is going to be quite high. I just think it gets very difficult to play. And, you know, this hand will get into a spot a little bit later on that's going to kind of bring this problem of one opponent not having enough combos in their range with a high SPR to like All right, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna press you a little bit more on this. So
2: then, why not just four bet way more hands? Like, why not just cold four like a normal cold four range? Like, mine would have like king jack suited plus ace queen off suit, ace queen suited,
1: ace jack suited. um. Well, you mentioned a very tight player, right? Are these hands that you want to be opening the action so that villain can, so the villain can deny your, your post flop equity, or do you want to see flops and get future data points on a villain that's very readable? My preference would be to realize my equity and get future data points. Gotcha. So would you 4 Aces? Aces, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's like the only one. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. exploited. I mean, maybe, yeah, Aces are pretty much the only one. Like, Villain's yeah. okay. super tight. I'm going to 4 much bigger than I normally would as well. Hmm. Okay, okay. All right, so
2: Andy Flats. Uh, I believe JD Flats as well. And... Get to a pretty cooler of a flop.
1: Yeah, poor JD. He got the middle pair there.
2: <laughs> yeah, with a backdoor flush draw and a backdoor straight
1: draw. Yeah, so king of clubs, ten of diamonds, and four of clubs. So Andy has flop top set. James has aces. JD, he has his middle pair here. The action goes, they check to James, and now there's seventy three hundred dollars in the pot, like I mentioned before, Andy has pretty much a hundred k and James has Andy covered um mm-hmm. James bets four thousand into seventy three hundred I guess we'll start there size um, size of james bets um any thoughts uh
2: I mean, this is like. I don't know, for online, as online sizes go, this would be, like, pretty large multi-way, but, again, like, sizes live, especially when you're a gazillion big blinds deep, definitely trend larger than, like, what I'm used to seeing online. Um, I don't know, I think, I would assume, like, James is going to have lots of, just lots of hands that want to see bet this flop. He's going to have tons of king-x, he's going to have flush draws, he's going to have combo draws. Um, I don't know if he even see bets his 10x, um, and then, obviously, aces.
1: Yeah. So what about Andy here deciding to flat? And then I do want to point out that the Queen-10 just folded to a bet on the flop here, which... A a bet and a call. A bet and a call, right. But it still leads me to believe that, like, dude's not just steaming and looking to, like, light his money on fire here. Right, right.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. I'm actually, like, curious to ask you about, like, Andy's call here. Like, given, you know, all the discussion that we had uh, pre-flop, about like, okay, like what? Like why not check raise here when you have top set and
1: we're putting James on a really really tight range? I would check raise here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you just kind of have to check raise here. I-, I don't know. You know, James. And he gets. You know, we've shown the turn at this point, so the turn's a five of clubs. But like, when when James bets three ways on the flop, and this is kind of what I was talking about as it relates to combos, James isn't betting a lot of hands on this board three ways with one player having a short stack. So, like, James is kind of signaling already once he bets that, like, Hmm. I've got a Hmm. hand that I'm willing to get it in versus the short stack with. And there aren't that many hands that are that confident, especially if you're Andy. Because Andy has two kings. So, like, James has ace-king. James has... Aces, and then maybe James Homo, has combo draws, ace queen, ace jack of clubs, some hand yeah. like that. Ace against all of clubs. Yeah, against all of those hands, you want to put more money in the pot right now with a set of kings. Maybe he even has a set of tens too. Like maybe that's another hand that uh, like yeah, he that's three good bets one. and then bets. Yeah. So I think it's I, I think Andy should check raise here. I don't, you know, I just think it's yeah. I, I don't love the decision to flat. I think he should just check raise. Yeah.
2: Okay. So uh, one thing that I'll say that in Andy's defense that might have been going through his head is that he's still thinking that JD is uh, a little tilted and like might just rip his stack in here and then get James to call and, and then or call or raise or do something and then, you know, be able to put in the raise or be able to put James in like a really tough spot after that. So maybe that's what he was thinking. If that's what he was thinking preflop, unfortunately, that's not what happens for Andy.
1: Well, even if that's like the narrative that you have preflop, you have to be able to recalibrate and adjust based on the situation in front of you. I mean, James has a (laughs) hundred thousand JD has 10. I think it's pretty clear that like getting maximizing value from James is a higher priority than getting the 10 K from JD.
2: Yeah. uh, What I was saying though, was that like, he might be able to do both if JD puts in the 10 K, right? Like, you know, he knows that James probably has a hand that he's not going to fold. And like, you know, maybe he's just like, well, they'll never put me on a set. Like,
1: just flatting this flop and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of asking a lot when you've got top set <laughs> for JD to have a hand that just jams the flop, right? Like JD needs to have like basically some sort of flush draw or queen jack to mm-hmm. just kind of get the money in. Um, yeah. So again, I, I think it's just a low frequency thing. You know, you're asking JD to jam. I think it's low frequency. It's not going to happen that often. James is signaling, hey, I got a good hand. Like, let's kind of, <laughs> let's just take take the the big prize here in check race big so. on the flop. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. So JD does fold. The turn is the five of clubs, which completes the club flush draw. Andy does not have a club. James has the ace of clubs in his hand. Uh, Andy starts out with check, and James bets 7,000, which is just a hair under half pot. So James essentially goes half pot, half pot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this was another part of the hand that I was surprised by. I would have expected Andy to call uh, once the clubs get there. But Andy decides to go for a small check raise, I believe, to 19K.
1: Yeah, so why do you think Andy went for a raise here on the flush completing turn? And for the podcast listeners, the board is King of Clubs, Ten of Diamonds, and the four or five of clubs. Andy's got top set. James has aces with the ace of clubs I mean, you mentioned kind of before we started recording that Andy
2: very likely is reading into James's sizing and that when James plots the turn, he very it's very unlikely that he has a flush. Um, I'm assuming what you're saying and what Andy might be thinking is that James would go bigger than half pot whenever he has a flush. Yeah. I mean, that's all I can think of. Uh, the check rate size is also really small. Um, I don't know. Just a lot of stuff about this turn play was kind of perplexing to me.
1: Yeah. I don't, I, I think <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I guess the first part of it, I think that once James bets the flush completing turn again, combinatorically, he only has so many hands here. If you have a tight three betting range and then you bet three ways on the flop. So you know, you don't have a ton of combos. And if we go back to the size of the pot on the turn, uh, it was like 15K and James bet seven. And, you know, Andy had about 90 behind. So like you have a somewhat high SPR. James doesn't have that many hands. And if James chooses to blast turns when he turns the nut flush, like with three fourths or pot size bet, it's Mm -hmm. not exactly rocket science to figure out that like, you know James only has a few hands, ace King with the ace of clubs or aces um in which case you can just raise for value here uh the small sizing is kind of kind of strange, but I mean, I guess if those are the hands that you're targeting, maybe you don't want to just blast it, but this kind of goes back to the fundamental problem on the flop right of oh, so now he's like slow played and now we have a flush completing turn. Now you're check raising. And instead of like the flop when you're threatening with six combos, now you're threatening with a shit ton of combos where flush is complete. And now James with his range is likely to just start being very defensive. Right. I agree. And and
2: when you said that, like, are you assuming my correct, like when I heard you say that, like you think James would not bet the turn without the ace of clubs. So like he wouldn't bet red ace king on the turn.
1: I have no idea. I think so. I think that's the case, Mm -hmm. but I'm not exactly sure. I do think that like these flush completing turns are under bet with like red ACE King. And so Mm -hmm. like when, when he does bet here, I would expect him to have the ACE of clubs. Um, and I expect him to have ACEs here like quite often or ACE King with the ACE of clubs. That's pretty much his range. And, you know, you you don't have many hands here. Um, this is the, kind of the inherent problem when you don't have many combos in a spot. You kind of are forced to defend most all of your combos, or he's going to feel forced to defend all of his combos, whether he should or not. I guess that's a different question. Gotcha.
2: Okay. So James pretty quickly calls the turn bet, which makes sense. I mean, he has an overpair and that flush draw on the turn.
1: Um, can't imagine folding, getting three and a half to one. Yeah, he's getting pretty much direct odds. Right. And for what it's worth, I don't love James's decision to bet the turn. You know, I think that's something that we didn't even really talk about, but like mm. with Aces, yeah. with the Ace of Clubs, I'm just checking back and playing it right. for one bet. I think it's kind of ambitious asking uh, the cold three-better to call twice with, you know, the bet best you can expect is King-Queen when you have Aces.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or maybe Andy has some Aces, Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He's blocking two aces. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough ask getting getting two, street, two streets of value. Yeah, this I'm street.
2: also... I don't know if this is what you were saying, but like I'm also in the camp of checking back my aces with the ace of clubs and being way more likely to bet red aces on the turn.
1: James does make the call, like we said, because it's pretty pretty easy call. You've got almost direct odds. The river is the tray of hearts, so just an effective blank. It doesn't pair the board. And James does not improve, so Andy still with his top set and is first to act here on the river. John, what do you think? You know, Andy's going to bet. What do you think of Andy's sizing here? There's 53300 in the pot, and Andy sets out a glob of chips that ends up being... About two-thirds pot, I think. Yeah, about $38,000. Leaving himself with 34000 behind. I mean, this is like a pretty standard
2: size on the river, I guess. I suppose he's targeting like aces and ace-king and king-queen type hands. Um, I guess James could, like you said, could also have like pocket tens and like getting the max from like a hand like pocket tens is is definitely important. Um, I don't know if he's... I don't know. Like, I don't know if he, he's thinking about like what, what types of bluffs you would have here. I know like in live poker that's significantly less of a consideration um than online. I don't know. I guess I, I I'm fine with the size at the end of the
1: day. No. I I think you should go smaller. I think it's greed, but you know, maybe Andy Andy has a good idea of, you know, James's threshold for calling a river bad. I think Andy has very few natural bluffs, uh close to zero at this spot. And um, on the flush completing turn, like you, you know, you just kind of have to dial it back on the river when you have very few bluffs and villain has a capped range, and we're very aware of what villain's range ought to be. I would just bet a third, personally.
2: Yeah, I honestly like. I mean, like, I I, I don't know much about James. Like, I don't know how he would play actual flushes on the on the turn, but like, I, I sort of disagree that like villain has a capped range. Like, I think. You know if you flats the net flush on the turn and you just put in half your stack on the river like i don't know you could just be put in some like completely disgusting spots when you get jammed on for the other half of your stack and you have top set like by you know someone you presume is not bluffing the river
1: very often if ever um maybe but i mean we're again it i think this is james's strategy here we don't know how he plays flushes on the turn I don't know whether or not he's flatting all of his flushes and so whether his range is capped, but I mean, even if it is on capped, you know, we still made the same argument for betting smaller rather than larger. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Also, I, I guess like one, one other thing that I will say that sort of, I think lends credence to your assumption that James is capped. I think it's one thing that I noticed was the way James called on the turn was kind of like a, like he sort of, curious like it wasn't like an excited like okay let's put this 12k in and and, you know he was just like hmm okay let's think about this for a second and like it it did seem like he was concerned about not having the best hand on the turn uh just given the way he called so you know if andy can read into that and 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 just knows that james almost never has a flush uh on the turn when he calls in that manner um yeah i mean maybe going bigger is, is better
1: i i Since I'm salty today, I couldn't disagree more. I think going bigger is just worse. And, you know, the result of the hand at least gives some vindication to that um, because James does fold. You know, he tanks for a while and then folds the river. And I mean, if James James is not calling here with aces, the size of the bet probably hmm. is suspect. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Because that's the best hand that Andy beats besides tens, you know, I think obviously 10s but 10s whatever like that's three combos um aces there's six combos oh
2: no yeah so i mean i don't know if you want to play the rest of the hand but james uses all of his time banks and does find a very nice fold on the river with his
1: aces we told them they believe us john i don't know if i can yeah there it is i wonder if he oh wait Hmm? is andy way
2: deeper than the 34k when he pulled his hands up it just looked like he had oh, okay no never mind never mind 34k looks about right
1: his glob of chips that he put out there were all his big ones right 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 okay he yeah because i was just thinking like in james's
2: shoes like would you ever think about jamming the river um obviously not when andy is that only has a little bit uh, like a min raise left behind but that that was my first instinct one. oh
1: god we're t- somehow we've we've made it to the other side where we're turning our aces with the ace of clubs into a bluff on the river. Um, Feels like we got, one of the best bluffs. <laughs> we got to make it to the, the next segment. It, it probably is one of the best bluffs, honestly. Um, but, you know, I, I think whatever. I, I just don't think that's probably in James's arsenal. I don't think it's the worst, but I also think that, like, James should have checked the turn, so we probably shouldn't even be in this situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so hand number two is going to be Hustler. Casino. Going to look at a hand played by one G man. Stick around after the break. Check out Hustler Live coming right at you.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com bootcamp available now.
3: John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a pre preflop bootcamp.
4: Everything that you had done with me to that point or I had heard you do had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour. <laughs> and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable, but I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away.
3: And what about boot camp blew you away? Like
4: it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about and then all of a sudden as i start to understand what we're doing with the three bets the four bets and all of a sudden it just kind of hit me and i was like oh my god how do i not know this stuff this is amazing the more i studied them i started to understand why they were constructed sometimes like i'd be like that's why that's like that and that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general
3: do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience?
4: The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post-game as it did for my pre-game. Just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10-15 minutes of tape without Finding mistake after mistake and then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well.
3: I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study?
4: Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year, out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to to know that stuff ten years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if i had known that stuff and i thought the boot camp was so valuable that i literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because i was blown away i just thought the price was too cheap and it's changed my game in ways that i i can't even explain to you.
3: if you'd like to join the next round of preflop boot camp which starts on the last saturday of every month Head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp.
1: Alright, welcome back from the break. We now have G-Man on the screen. This is a hand that was played at the Hustler Live Casino and on the Hustler Live live stream. John, why did you, why were you so attracted to this hand? Why did this hand, you, you wanna break this hand down?
2: Well, I mean, like both of these hands sort of made like highlight reels on, on Live at the Bike and, and Hustler Casino Live and, you know, didn't wanna play favorites on Tactical Tuesday, so made sure we hit
1: one hand <laughs> from each of the LA, the big LA streams. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's, that, that's, a good thought too, you know. I have uh, Wayne Shang who's coming on the podcast, who runs the live at the bike stream, and so you know, yeah. just equal opportunity um, tactical Tuesday breakdown. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Non discriminatory. Yeah, we we do it yeah. all.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: So this hand involves one Garrett Adelstein Adelstein Adelstein. I'm not actually sure how to. I've heard it say said many different ways.
2: But. I think he's talked about how to pronounce it. But
1: anyway, so call <laughs> opens. We have to, we, let's rein back because um, you watch so, you consume so much more poker content than me that it's, it's kind of sad. I haven't watched one live at the bike or one hustler live stream ever in totality. I don't really watch that much anymore, to be honest. But like back when I was playing live
2: poker, I watched the the Friday game, the big game live at the bike, like religiously every Saturday morning. Like that would be my routine. Like, wake up, spend like two hours watching like every single hand and like whatever. Now, now, not so much given that I play online and like the environment that I play in is just so, so, so different from what I mean. (laughs) Not to say that I was playing like five million big blinds deep when I was playing live poker and like against guys of like, you know, G Man, Andy, Gals caliber. But like, yeah, now it's just so different that I don't really feel Compelled to watch it anymore, but yeah, I used to watch Live at the Bike Friday game just every single week. Yeah, like I mean, going to church or something.
1: It's fun to watch the high yeah. stakes games. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. if I'm going to watch any sort of poker content, high stakes cash games is the one that I would watch. Um, G Man here playing a bajillion dollars deep, he has gal covered, gal's got 88,000. Uh, he defends the big blind, he's straddled. Um, with a nine and a ten of different suits, Gal has the Jack Seven of Hearts. There's twenty-eight. No, no, no. There's four thousand fifty dollars in the pot on the flop, and we get a flop. That's okay for both players. The Jack of Clubs, the Eight of Spades, the Seven of Diamonds. G Man flops a straight, and Gal flops top and bottom pair. Um, G Man, they are not even that deep, to be fair. Like. Galls is like straddled
2: 400. So Gaul is uh, only so 200
1: big blinds deep. 200 big blinds, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're 200 big blinds deep. Um, and there's an ante as well. So. Yeah, yep. So we get a C-bet to 1,200 to start things out with the jack seven, the top and the bottom pair. Um, any thoughts about the $1,200 C-bet, John? Nope. Um, and actually, I was right. The pot was 2,850, and then... Gauss, Gauss C bet uh, twelve hundred. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm I think this is a fine size C bet on this
2: board. Um, I assume that like Gauss just C betting this size with most of his range on 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 this flop, Um, and maybe just like in general on lots of flops. So not not too much to comment on 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 C bet sizing. I think like maybe what's a little bit more interesting to me is like Garrett's check raise size. In my opinion, it is. Uh, on the smaller side, given especially given how deep they are, but you know maybe he chooses to go smaller on really dry or pretty dry boards like jack eight seven Rainbow and, and maybe like paired boards as well, and maybe he picks larger sizes on uh more dynamic boards um but still, I think policy betting twelve hundred and Garrett check raising to forty six hundred still does feel a little bit small to me um like it's it's this size is not gonna get stacks in by the river, unless you're over betting
1: somewhere. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a little small too. Um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how Garrett's structuring his strategy here. Um, I would, I, I think bigger is better, uh, but I don't know. Who knows? Um, it is small though. Garrett check raises to 4,600 um, and Gall does make the call. He looks a little like he's given the looks a little sad here, <laughs> um, in this still frame, momentarily. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that if you had top and bottom pair here against Garrett, getting check raised on the flop, that you would be feeling bad. Um, because it's a pretty pretty nice spot.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I could I sort of understand it in the sense that like your hand is now just like a bluff catcher for the rest of the hand. Like you're not gonna ever raise. You're not. You're never like fist pumping, putting like all the money in. Yes, you're playing against Garrett, who just has like infinitely more bluffs than any
1: normal poker player, I assume. But I can understand why he's not loving it. <laughs> if you got infinitely more bluffs than any other poker player, then you should love it when you have a bluff catcher. Because yeah, but you're also going to have to put money.
2: in like 200 big wines in the pot a lot of the time with top and bottom pair
1: yeah what are we playing man? we're playing poker right we want, <laughs> we just want to flop the nuts and get the money in every single time like that's a that's a pretty boring game that's what um, Garrett seems
2: to be doing with him that's that I, I like that that life does seem better to me
1: <laughs> it, it does um it does yeah so we have the call on the flop the turn is the queen of spades there's twelve thousand dollars in the pot Garrett uh I don't know why I'm talking about how much money Garrett has Garrett has. 300,000 in front of him and (laughs) Gull has 83 K. So his stack is, you know, what's, what's at risk here, the $83,000. So there's 12 K in the pot, um, queen of spades on the turn. So Garrett still has the nuts. I think the queen is somewhat interesting. Um, it's an interesting turn card specifically because if Garrett's check raising hands, like queen nine or queen 10, now he has top pair. um, he
2: has, or spades in which could definitely be related to like have some relevance to his check raising range if he's <coughs> check raising like hands with backdoor back flush draws like I don't know 5-6 of spades or 9-6 of spades or even worse hands than that like king 10 of spades or something like
1: yeah if he doesn't 3-bet king 10 of spades pre I think that's, yeah, pretty, that's a good point yeah it's a pretty big part of it um, so Garrett with 12k in the pot Um Garrett's just going to bet and Garrett overbets a turn Sticks in fifteen thousand. Uh how do you feel about Garrett's sizing here, John? Um this
2: is that's uh, interesting. So it's one point two five, it's like one point two five X plot. Um I don't know. I mean like I'm sure a lot of this has to do like for, okay, for one thing that I know is that like Garrett and Gall for sure have like a lot of like live history. I'm sure they've played like tons and tons of hands together. Like Gall was like a reg on like the old live at the bike stream before, um, you know, before Hustler Casino Live even existed. I'm sure they have played a gazillion hours even off stream. Um, So I'm assuming like this has, the size has a lot to do with like history and, you know, what Garrett has done versus Gall, you know, recently or just like in the past after he's check raised flop, like the sizes that he picks on the turn. Um, I've seen this line like use, even online where like people over check raise flop and then over bet turn um which sort of makes sense right like your your the idea being that like your flop check raise range is going to be very polar um it's going to be polarized to like really strong hands like sets and two pairs and straights and then the the bottom end of that is just going to be your bluffs or your draws and you know if you polarize on the flop like it makes sense to continue doing so on the turn and river um with those hands and and you know when a uh, overcard peels like you know you can now maybe get like weak Top pairs on the flop to to consider folding. Um, so it's tough to say like exactly like whether this is like good or bad. I'm just gonna assume it's good because you know I'm sure Garrett has like a way better under way better understanding of like how uh, how this play is gonna be pre- be perceived by someone he plays against with a lot
1: than uh, than I do. Yeah, I think it's really good to be honest. I think that you know the last hand we saw Andy not raise the flop when he flopped top set. I think here, like once Gall continues on the flop, Garrett's just polarizing again and knows that like Gall can have a lot of strong hands here that are now bluff catchers and there's really nothing he can do. So just sizing up with the nine ten specifically. And I mean, you know, Garrett could have hands like King 10 off or Ace 10 off as well. I think those hands make a lot of sense here where he check raises the flop with the gut shot. And then you know, ace-10 turns double-got shot and king-10 turns open-ender. I think those hands are just, like, natural. You know, it's very natural, continues at this size. So, like, Garrett's strategy here seems to be really good. And, you know, what else you expect from G-Man? <laughs> yeah. What
2: do you think about hit the size that he chooses to overbet? Like, overbetting, I think, just makes sense, but, like, why not, like, 1.5x or, like, 2x plot? Um, is there some... You think there's, like, some differentiation between there between those and like 1.25, especially when you're so deep, like you, this, even this overbet
1: doesn't set up for stacks on the river. Um, maybe well, that's not something he cares about, but I think you're foreshadowing a little bit, but I would say you're wrong. <laughs> um, we yeah, can foreshadow yeah. a little bit, but I, I, I do think you are wrong that it doesn't set up for stacks. You know, this is no limit Texas hold where you have no cap on the size that you're allowed to bet. And so, uh-huh. I think that's a good point. You know, like I sort of have this obsession or like I think a lot of players have this obsession with like setting up for stacks on the river when like you don't need to, right? You don't need to have less than pot or like pot on the river and especially in No Limit to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it's a mistake that I see in private coaching sessions all the time where it's like, you know, it, it, it where somebody like wants to put two bets in and when they're out of position. And so they like bet the turn so that they can jam the river when the SPR is like 1.5. And it's like, you know, you can check to like induce. And if it goes check, check and villain has lots of bluff catchers, like you can just over bet jam the river. Like that's, no. that's the totally viable option that just some, for some reason people just like don't see. Um, no. No. and I think that like, yeah, this is a game you have overbets so you can just put the money in on the river um yeah, if you so yeah, choose oh yeah. uh so yeah i, I don't know I, i'm not again i don't know exactly the the sizing would be how garrett is structuring his full strategy here and since garrett does have river jams and maybe he wants to have a bigger bigger bet left on the river with his king 10 mm. and ace 10 so that he can have more fold equity. And so like, maybe that's a part of why he chooses this $15,000 sizing. So again, right. I, I think like Garrett, it's, it's likely just very high level strategy construction here. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: That makes a lot of sense that you, you would want to have like the super meaty river size available to you when you have
1: your bluffs. Right. Um, Cause again, like, like we say we're we're playing a full range here. we're not just playing the hand in front of us, we're playing a strategy in our full range, and I think full range probably wants to have that big one.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah. he gets you know Gaul calls the turn with his two pair at, and I think there's really nothing to speak of there. he's just <laughs> again, he's just kind of strapped in and ready, ready for the ride at this point got to hold on <laughs> yeah, he's got to hold on. there's nothing he can do um there's forty two k in the pot. And Gall has 68,000, so about, you know, 1.5-ish, 1. 1.6-ish 1. Yep. Um, SPR, stack to pot ratio here on the river. Garrett is out of position. Gaul. so for the podcast listener, I don't know if we said the river. The river's a seven of spades, so Gall makes a full house. Um, the Seven of Spades also completes Backdoor Spades. So the final board is Jack-8-7, uh, Queen of Spades, Seven of Spades. So there's a Spade Flush draw available in now. Gold makes a full house. So here, something strange happens. Um, Garrett, Garrett is going to... He's going to grab a bunch of uh a bunch of $5000 chips and stick them in the middle there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel uncomfortable like saying <laughs> someone who's like much definitely way better than me at, at poker and, and way way better than me at live poker is is, is doing something that I
1: just And don't look at the guy. He he too. could just pummel you into a pulp on the <laughs> sidewalk yeah. too, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, hey, man, I've been doing pull-ups, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know where my money's at.
2: <laughs> I don't like this play, man. I mean, it all has every boat. He has quads. Um, there's nothing about his range here that, that is uncapped. Um, the only reason that I, I can think of to, to bet this size is that, like, Garrett is just going to be perceived to have, like, so many bluffs when he takes this line that like a hand like queen jack or like aces or kings is, is really just going to have to seriously think about calling the size and, and putting the money in even then that that seems a little ambitious with uh well, like one point bigger than 1.5x pot on the river that that you're getting caught by worse frequently but again maybe he just knows that he has so many bluffs or he's perceived to have so many bluffs that those two pair hands
1: are gonna call so i've gone back and forth with this river decision in my mind and Garrett. What's interesting about the spot is that I think when Garrett chooses his turn sizing, he knows what his river strategy is going to be in advance. Um, His, his play is going to be to jam. I think that's pretty clear by the fact that he still jammed on a card that is really bad for his exact hand, but is this card really bad for Garrett's range? And, you know, Garrett's going to have boats here. Garrett will have some backdoor spades. And I think Ace 10 and King 10 are still going to be jamming on this card specifically. So Garrett does have natural bluffs. The the really a big factor here is like if you check, what are you checking? And if you check, you kind of are forced to be checking range if you're Garrett. And hmm, is well, checking range a thing you would like to do? I, I don't think so. You could bet smaller. You could. So you're betting small with your whole range of Ace-10 and King-10? I don't know. Do you
2: have to be, like, balanced in that in that way necessarily? Like, maybe. I mean, it definitely is better to be balanced in that way, I think. But, like, I don't know. This is, again, this is live poker. Like, if you want to try to get called by, like, Queen-Jack and Aces and Kings, like, can you just bet, like, 28K on the river or something like that And with, like, your straights and just go really big with your boats and your
1: bluffs i mean this is 5100 200 and two extremely yeah 5100 200 400 with two extremely high level players yeah. um to kind of throw away sound strategy construction for an exploit i don't know how advised that is i think the safe the safe thing to do is kind of what Garrett does, even though that kind of seems a little absurd. The safe yeah. decision is just just to jam range because in that way, um, you know, he knows that he, he just knows that like he's jamming with his range here, and that he thinks that strategy is going to make money over the long term, even though his exact hand is a hand that doesn't really want to jam the river. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, when I first saw it, I thought. I didn't like it at all, but now really thinking about the spot Garrett is in Garrett's, this is not a great spot for him on the river with his exact hand. And from a strategy standpoint, um, maybe he does get called by worse when he jams. I'm not sure. I'm specifically not sure that he gets called by worse when he jams because of how long it takes gall to call the river. Um, gall goes in the tank for quite a while, before calling with you know his full house, which leads me to believe that like aces, <laughs> aces ain't too thrilled about calling um, the all in on the river here, right. uh, which says you know it, that's really good for Garrett's king ten and ace ten. You know the bluffs that he has in his range, and maybe even eight nine or eight ten. Like maybe he decides yeah. to like check raise those and, and kind of go for it with those those kind of hands too. Um, the bluff portion of his range is doing well. Again, like this is this, this specific hand just puts him in a quandary. And you can't yeah. just check like this one hand, you know, you, 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 that you're, you're checking range here. That's really what we're, we're kind of struggling with, or what I'm struggling with anyway.
3: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm still going to say that it's like,
2: like when you're, again, when you're playing live poker and like, like it's like, how, how are you going to get punished like in the spot for like betting like 28K with this hand? Um, And just jamming like the really good hands and the bad hands, like is that is it really something that's like going to come back to like bite you? Like, even if you're playing like lots and lots of hours with you know with call or with with whichever opponent you're choosing to exploit, like you know these spots, not like these spots like come up like all the time. Or maybe they do for someone like Garrett who just check raises and bomb bombs like turns and rivers a lot. But yeah, I I, there's safety
1: in playing a strategy. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's safety in just constructing a very sound strategy and playing your strategy um no matter what because that you know ultimately at the end of the day over the course of your life if you play very high level strategies in all of these spots you will be a winning player and you will make a lot of money playing this game oh. um so changing that stra i don't know I-, I don't know if the trade-off is worth it i mean 910 is highly incentivized to size down and so but do you want to size down with king 10 and ace 10 probably not so right, like right. If you size down with nine ten, okay, cool. You you have like one hand in your range here, that yeah. that you're betting in. That's just not good. That I don't think that cuts it when you're playing nosebleed stakes, even live poker. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think like you know, just a another
2: argument for what you're saying and and maybe what Garrett was thinking was that like while this hand like maybe he goes maybe like it's reasonable or like maybe you know you're not going to get punished, but like also like this hand is is streamed right, so like everyone's going to see it and. You know, if they know that, like, okay, you size down with like nine tenure, and they and you're jamming your your boats and your bluffs, then
1: like that's that's way more people that are going to see this than just uh, just the people at the table. I don't think Garrett's concerned about that, to be honest. Okay, he does enough weird things that like people watching are like, "What the hell just happened here?" Like, he he does go out on limbs and he does do a lot of weird things. I think this is, I think it, it's evident that Garrett um respects Gulls uh, strategy construction and his ability as a poker player and yeah. I think that's ultimately what you know kind of led him to just play his strategy here instead of playing his exact hand gotcha gotcha okay so and yeah that's it Garrett that's, does put
2: it in the 70K. you k should we show the, the call
1: sure we'll show the call um, it takes um, a while I mean
2: which is understandable it's 150 big blinds without you know you don't exactly have the nuts and Garrett can
1: definitely have better hands than yours yeah there's the call, and Garrett just gives his little nice hand. <laughs> I looked, definitely looked a little unhappy, but uh, <laughs> little not unhappy. Shocked, not but...
2: shocked or anything,
1: right? No, I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, what goal has? So, yeah, I think that's that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Tactical Tuesday. I know that you know I mentioned it in this week's newsletter, but in the next four to eight months. I'm going to be starting a stable called the CPG Wolves. I have an application. It's in the Chasing Poker Greatness Community, Greatness Village. So if you are interested in being a CPG Wolf four to eight months down the line, you need to hop on the newsletter. You need to get in the village and put your name on the wait list because that is where I'll be taking applicants from. I think it's time to you know it's time to build a team time to get out there in the streets and throwing down with these CPG strategies um so I'm excited for that project because you know of course I I need more things to do I don't have enough to do in my life than manage a stable um <laughs> you have like 15 jobs right now honestly I do I do I'm just hoping like one one of my jobs just blows up to the point where I can say Forget all you other jobs. I'm just going to do this one. Um, But yeah, man, it's been good breaking these hands down. If y'all like these hand breakdowns from the high stakes cash game streams, let us know and we can do more in the future. And with that said, John, tell them bye-bye. See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.